Hey, guys. Um, so, yeah, my name's Roy, and um, I pastor a church in Greenville called Outreach Church. I'm originally from South Florida. I see a bunch of you guys wore your Miami orange tonight. Makes me feel welcome. I appreciate that. It's good of you. Um, see, here's the thing, it, it, and we were talking about that, if there, there's another in the fire. And the way they got into the fire with Jesus was the king came to them, and he said, you have to bow your knee. And when they wouldn't bow their knee, he keeps making the fire hotter. And because and, and he believes that there's a point in which they'll sell out. Like he believes if he can just make the fire hot enough, if he can just make the threat loud enough, if he can just make it to where it, he, the enemy still believes that, he believes you'll sell out. He believes that you don't believe what you say. And that if he can just make things hot enough, that eventually you'll turn your back on this thing and you'll give up. Because he is convinced that every man is alive for himself and that no one is truly alive for Jesus. And, and, and they look at the king and they say, oh king, what is your fire to us? For even if our God doesn't. They're saying, listen king, you, you don't understand. It's not about how hot you make your fire. You make that thing as hot as you want to. Your fire means nothing to us. Because our lives don't belong to us. And we trust the one we've given them to. And I promise you, life is set up to try to pull you away from that truth of following Jesus and the one that you've given your life to. And he really believes, the enemy believes that if he can just come to you with enough fire, if he can make it hot enough, that you'll sell out because everybody has a selling price. Everybody sold themselves. And, and I honestly believe that the way that we walk through and we walk into the fire and we find Jesus in the middle of it is when we decide that my life is not for sale because I've been bought with a price. And I don't even have, my life isn't even my own anymore. I was bought with a price. And, and, and that if, if my life doesn't belong to me, then it belongs to somebody. And that somebody is King Jesus. And that's how you get into the fire with Jesus is by deciding beforehand. Because circumstances, listen. Circumstances will lie to you. Your feelings will lie to you. Life will lie to you. It's set up. To, how many of you guys have ever watched a movie and cried? Look at the guys. Who are like, yeah, right. You cried watching Old Yeller. But here's the deal. Now you think about this for a second. I want you to stop and think about that. You knew when you sat down to watch that thing that it wasn't real. You knew that there wasn't a little dog running around inside that glass box that you were watching. It wasn't real. Like, like you knew that there's not really Jack and Rose and they didn't really like, like, like hang together on a bed rail in the water and slip away from each other. Yet you found yourself crying and having an emotional response to something that you knew wasn't real. How much more could your emotions lead you astray if what's being presented to you is being presented to you as truth? be really careful before you start to live by your emotions and let the way you feel start to dictate truth because you've already been led astray by things that you know aren't real your emotions have already betrayed you and you knew it wasn't real what are you going to do when something comes to you and it's presented to you as real you better know a truth that's greater than what you're seeing you better believe in something more and you better have your eyes fixed on what is unseen for what is unseen is eternal what is seen is temporary I grew up in a, in a Christian home. I, I grew up in a family that we went to church every Sunday. We went to church on Sunday night. We went to church on Wednesday night. I, I knew all about God. I knew every Bible story that you could know. And, and, and I was at church every time the doors were open. And, and for all the world watching, I said I wanted to be a missionary when I was six and a pastor when I was seven or eight. And for all the world watching, I looked like a kid who was on his way to pursuing Jesus. And I looked like someone who had, had surrendered their life to Jesus. And the prayer that I prayed seemed like it had changed my life. But the truth of the matter is at nine years old, I started smoking weed. I got high for the first time at nine, ten years old. I think it was nine or ten. I think it was nine. My friend was ten. My little brother was seven. And my, my friend's uncle used to smoke pot. And then he'd stick the roaches down in the cracks in the, in the um, front porch. And so one day we pulled the grate out of the front porch. We crawled underneath there, picked a bag of roaches, took them up to our tree fort, smoked them. Nine years old, ten years old, didn't even know what you're doing, but just looking for something. By the time I was 15, 16 years old, I was doing every drug because the way it works is like in life, everything is set up to bring you closer to the next step. Like you've ever, have you ever looked up at a 20-foot ladder and thought, man, that's so high up there. 
But when you're on, when you're on like the 19th rung, the step to 20 doesn't seem so high anymore. Like when you're on the ground looking up, it seems like, man, that's so far to get to the top of that thing. But when you've got to the 19th rung, the 20th is just one more step up. And that's how life was for me. I did things for a while, and it took me closer to this line. So I'd draw a line and say, well, I'll do this, but I won't do that. And so, you know, I would smoke pot, but I'll never take acid. Then I took acid, and I'm like, well, I'll trip, you know, and I'll smoke pot, but, but I, I, won't, I won't do, you know, I won't snort coke. And, and, and I'm not going to start, you know, crushing pills and snorting those. And then pretty soon you, 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 you walk in this for so long that you end up so close to that line that it's just one little step over it. And I kept drawing lines and then violating them and drawing lines and violating them. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you're drawing lines in your life and then you're skirting so close to that line because you're trying to figure out how much can I get away with and still feel like I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Jesus didn't come so that you could figure out how close to hell you could walk and still go to heaven when you died. He came so that you could be set free and actually become like him and live in the image that you were created for from the beginning, which is the image of love and God is love. And so I, I would make these invisible lines, and I would walk close to those lines for long enough that it was just a little step over. And then pretty soon you've crossed every single line that you said you wouldn't cross. And eventually you get to a point where if you've done drugs long enough and you've met enough people that do drugs, you realize, like, well, I could sell these things, and, and I could just get high for free. And so pretty soon now you're selling drugs, and you're using drugs, and you're involved in that whole lifestyle that comes with it. And, and, and it's not hard to find. I grew up down in South Florida. I lived there until I was 20. I moved here when I was 20 years old to Greenville. And, and, and it, it finds you. And, and if you don't actually have something that you're living for, life is happy to steer you in a direction. And so I, I, would get, I just got steered more into that direction. I, 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 was, I was an absolute mess. I lived completely for myself. I was selfish. I was self-consumed. You know, that's, that's the original sin, right, is thinking selfishly. It's wanting something at someone else's expense. Man wants to be like God at the expense of what God's called him to. So he eats the fruit. And then you can see the, the, the result of sin. Immediately, man turns on each other. Adam, what have you done? It's the woman that you gave me. It's not my fault. It's your fault, God, or it's her fault. Because immediately we begin to protect ourselves and we begin to live at other people's expenses. And we were never created to live at the expense of others. But that's what I was doing. I was a manipulator. I was a liar. As soon as I met somebody, I started to figure out who do I need to become to get what I want from them. What do they, what do they want? What, what is it that I can give them to get what I want from them? And I never actually loved anybody. I didn't even know what love was. I would say I love you, but it was only so that I could get something from you that I wanted. It was a tool. It wasn't, actual, uh, it wasn't actually love. It was manipulation. Don't get caught in those relationships. Don't get caught in a mutual mani manipulation relationship where you tell each other, well, I'll only manipulate you as long as you only manipulate me. That's not love. That's just manipulation. Anybody that's telling you if you love me, you would, doesn't know what love is. Because anybody that knows what love is isn't going to ask you to give something at your expense so that they can get something from you. They're going to lay their life down for you. Because that's what love looks like. It lays its life down for others. And so I had no clue. I'm just living this life. And, and then pretty soon my mom, who, who, who put up with so much of my stuff, found I had this little backpack. And I, I was a mess. And I, I look different than I look now. I had dreadlocks. My bottom six teeth were gold. I weighed like 130 pounds. I thought I was hard, you know, getting fights all the time. And I'm serious. You know what that's like. You're, listen, when sin gets a hold of you, it makes a mess of you. And, and, and I was a mess. And so I had this backpack that I kept my drugs and my gun and all my stuff in and my money. And one day my mom found it and I came home and she had the contents spread on a table. And she looks at me and she says, what would have happened if one of your little brothers would have found this? And I'm, you know, like an idiot kid. I'm like, well, they would have probably got high. You know, and, and, and it, like, I'm not a, you know, I'm not proud of it, but that's what I said. And my mom said, that can't stay in my house. And I'm like, oh, you're, you're kicking me out? And, and my mom, super wise, she looked at me and she said, I'm not kicking you out. I'm kicking that out. And if you choose to go with it, that's your choice. So I grabbed my stuff, grabbed my surfboards, my skateboards, a bag of clothes, threw in the back of my truck, took off to a friend's house. Get to his house. I'm like, I'll just live here because he had a duplex we shared. His dad lived on one side. He lived on the other. I walk into the house, and his dad walks in, looks at me, and says, how come every time I'm here, you're here? I was like, I don't know. Just got to hang out with your son. He's like, get out of my house. And my friend and him start arguing. They start fist fighting. Now he kicks my friend out. 
and we'd run and, and jump in my truck and take off because he's chasing us with like a baseball bat. And so now both of us have nowhere to go. We've got a bag of clothes and some surfboards and skateboards in the back. We, we have a little bit of money, a little bit of drugs, and we find a friend of ours who got kicked out, you know, earlier that week, and he tells us he's got a house he's living in. So we all moved in there together, and then it was on. Because now we had a house where everybody could come to to buy drugs, and, and, and you could hang out at our house as long as you shared them with us. And so people were just nonstop stopping in there, and that was life. Every day was wake up, get high, stay high all day, scam your way through life, figure out who you could rip off, who, how you could scam, how you could get high. Because I lived to numb myself. I lived because inside of me there was something that knew there was more to life than I was living. But I wasn't willing to deny myself and give it up and actually go after the thing that was pursuing me. And so I tried to numb that, and I would just continue to get high and high. And, and our house was just a disaster of people coming through. And, and, and so finally one day I came home, and I walked in the house, and my friend was sitting on the couch. And he looks at me, and he says, hey, you know so-and-so, right? And I said, yeah, it's one of my best friends. And this kid had been like a brother to me. Like in second grade when his, or, or I'm sorry, we met in second grade, and then in middle school when his parents went through a hard divorce. His mom and my mom were such good friends that she asked, can, can he come and live with you guys? And he came and lived with us for two years. And we were like brothers. We've been best friends since second grade. And now we're, he's 18 and I'm 17. He says, yeah, he just got arrested for murder. And I'm like, what? What happened? You know? And so what happened was we're at a party and selling crack. And, you know, you keep your crack hidden in, a, in a, some place so that if you ever get caught, the most you have is just one deal worth on you so you don't get busted with intent to distribute. You know, you just get charged with simple possession. And, and so I guess this kid had seen him where he stashed and I guess had, had stolen, had robbed him and took his crack stash. And, you know, he said he was going to kill him, but you say that kind of stuff all the time without ever meaning it all the time. You know, you're like, I'm going to kill that dude. You know, people have said that, like you said that, like, I'm going to kill him, you know. Well, he actually meant it. So he sat in the couch with a 44 t tucked into the couch cushions. And when the dude walked in the house, he shot him two times while he was standing up. And then as he laid on the ground, he shot him three more times, emptied the gun and sent five shots from the 44. Left him laying there on the floor bleeding, rolled a blunt, started smoking waiting for the cops to come. And he told me that, and something in me just kind of snapped because I would look, started looking at my life, and I'm like, there's my best friend just been arrested for murder. Most of my friends are, are, are either in jail or waiting to go to jail. I've been arrested and, and, and been to jail, and, and, and I'm just like, you know what? Like, like, what is life? Why does it even matter? What's the point? And I wasn't trying to kill myself, but I honestly felt like I got to the place where I didn't even care if I died. I just wanted to, like, escape reality. And so I just went on this like three-day binge and I started just snorting and smoking and drinking and swallowing and taking anything that I could. And it was incredible the amount of drugs I put into my body. I hit a line of cocaine one time so long that my heart pounded so hard that I threw up. I felt like I was going to overdose. My heart was just beating out of my chest. I couldn't even hold my hands still. They're shaking. And I decided if I was going to die, I didn't want to die in this crappy little house. So I'm going to go home to my mom and dad's house and at least I'll die somewhere that's peaceful. So three in the morning. I went to my mom and dad's house and I broke in the back door because I wasn't welcome there because of the life that I lived. And I went into a bathroom and I looked down and my skin looks like it's crawling on my hands and I'm freaking out. My pupils are the size of quarters. Um, my heart is beating so hard and so fast that I feel like I'm having a heart attack. I don't know what to do. I look into the mirror and I promise you it looks like the devil himself staring back at me. And I don't know if it was the drugs or if it was the Lord opening my eyes to who I was giving my life to. But in that moment, it looked like Satan staring back at me. And that was like the final snap. And I just said this, this from my heart. I said, Lord, if you're real, either change me or let me die. I can't live like this anymore. And I instantly sobered up. I'm talking about like I had roofies that I was going to snort so I could come down off of the cocaine and the uppers that I was on, hoping that maybe that would allow me to fall asleep. I didn't eat a thing. I was sober. My pupils went back to normal. I looked in the mirror. My face was clear. I could see myself for who I really was. And I, and I, and my, I looked down, and my skin doesn't look like it's crawling on my hands. And I started freaking out. At 3 in the morning in a bathroom, I'm like, you're real. No, no, you're real. Like, you're really, really real. You're real. You are real. And this reality of God came crashing down on me, and the one that I had said that I knew all about my whole life, I finally, for the first time in my life, I actually knew him beyond knowing about him. And I didn't even have the theology for it, but I've come to realize as I've walked with the Lord, he answered my prayer by doing both things. He let me die so that he could set me free. Because 
unless a seed falls to the ground, it dies. It dies alone. And, and so I didn't realize it in that moment, but I, I just, I knew that he was real, and I knew that my life was changed, and I was sober, and I was clear-eyed. And, I, and, and at that moment, like when God does that for you, like there's not a whole lot left other than to just surrender your life to him. And so I, I, I'm, I'm just freaking out about the reality of God as it's crashing in on me. Like, like not only are you real, but you care. Not only are you able, but you want to. Like, like all my life, the thought that God saw me everywhere I went and saw everything I did was terrifying to me. And in an instant, it became the most comforting thing in the world to know that my heavenly father saw me no matter where I went. And when he saw me, even when I was at my worst, he believed the best about me because he believed that if, if, if I would actually allow him to come, and change my life and accept what Jesus died on a cross for, that my life lived was worth the life of his son given on the cross. And all of a sudden, this like reality hits me, and I walk out into the hallway of my mom and dad's house in South Florida, and there stands my mom at three in the morning with tears in her eyes. Two nights earlier, she'd been praying for me all night like she did every night, especially after what happened with my friend getting arrested for murder and just all the things that had gone on. My, my mom was the one all my friends called collect from jail. That was back when you had to call collect. And they would call her collect and she would just talk to them and share the gospel with them and pray for them. And She was up praying for me like she did all night, every night. And the Lord, one of the few audible times he spoke to her, said, do you trust me with your son? She said, you, you know I do. He said, no, do you trust me with your son? She said, Lord, I do. I, I wouldn't be up praying if I didn't. He said, then trust me with your son and go to sleep. Two days later, two nights later, she's laying in bed, sleeping at three in the morning. The Lord wakes her up and says, your son sent him. He's in the bathroom. I walk out into the hallway, and there's my mom standing there. She throws her arms around me. She prays with me. I pray. I just yield myself to him. I give myself to the one who gave himself for me. And then I go into the bedroom, and I sleep for 24 hours like I've never slept before, and I woke up, and listen to me, I want to tell you this, I woke up, and from that day on, not only did I, was I set free from, from drugs, and not did, doing any drugs, I had no desire to ever get high again, to the point where, when I had to get surgery on my wisdom teeth, they prescribed me the painkiller, I broke them into quarters, in four pieces, and I took one little piece, because I don't want to be high, because life in Jesus is so much better than the life I'd ever known known anywhere that I don't want to miss a minute of it being high. I don't want a minute of my life to go by where my reality isn't fixed by him and it's fixed by something other than him. And, and, and this is, this is what, what happened that night was in that bathroom was the Lord came and actually changed my heart and he gave me a new heart and I became a new creation. And then I, I, I began to read my Bible and I would read verses like he became sin who knew no sin that we, that you, that me, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And suddenly it wasn't just words on a page. It wasn't just theory. It wasn't just something that was a, something you quoted to people to win a Bible race or to get a gold star in Bible study. It was the truth and the reality that God put forth in his word. And all of a sudden I began to see it and I'm like, wait a minute. You didn't come and act sinful so I could act righteous. You became something that I might become something. What does it look like to become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? What does it look like to be so set free that not only do I not have a, like a, a, a problem with it, I have no desire towards it. And all of a sudden this life, and my parents are amazing people, but you know sometimes we just pass what we've been given. And sometimes all we're doing is, is the best we have with what we've been taught. And, 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 and the, 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 the Christianity that I grew up in, God was more of a judge up in the sky who was angry with me. And the fact that his eyes were upon me was terrifying. And then all of a sudden I began to realize, wait a minute, you, you didn't, I read John 3.16 and it was like all of a sudden it was my first time ever reading this verse. For God so loved me that he sent his son. I always thought he sent his son so that he could, not because he did. And then I realized I was never lovable. The cross didn't come to make me lovable. The cross proved that I was always lovable. 
and that no matter where I went, no matter how far I went, he never took his eyes off of me and he never stopped believing that there was the potential for my life to become everything that he dreamed when he knit me together in my mother's womb. And even at my, my worst, he believed the best about me. And then he sent his son to give his life for me. And I'm reading this stuff and it's just lighting my world on fire and I'm starting to understand these things. And, and so I, I decided I, I would give him my life and I'm like, well, I've got to, I've got to move. I've got to, you know, I've got to get away from this stuff. Problem is I'm on probation. So I go to see my probation officer and I tell him, I'm like, uh, I, I called him first. I'm like, hey, I'm going to move to South Carolina. My little brother lived in Greenville. He's like, move up here. There's a lot of good people, et cetera. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to do that. And so I, I call my probation officer and I'm like, hey, I'm going to move to South Carolina. You know, I've paid all my restitution. I've done all my community service. I've got six months left. I've served a bunch of it. Like, I want to move. And he said, well, we'll talk about it next time you come in to get drug tested. So I came in and you know, you have to pee in the cup, and then so we go into his office, and it's always awkward when a man watches you pee sitting down and looking him in the eyes a few minutes later, you know, and, and I'm, sitting, <laughs> I'm sitting there looking at this dude, and, and he looks at me, and he says, so you want to move to South Carolina, and I said, yes, sir, and he said, well, there's a problem with that, and I said, well, what's the problem? He said, the problem, young man, is that South Carolina's Department of Justice and Florida's Department of Justice don't have reciprocity. I said, well, so what are you saying? He said, I'm saying, young man, that South Carolina doesn't want Florida's trash. And here's the thing. For the first time in my life, what was being presented to me as real was contradicting what I had heard the Father speak. What I'd read in my Bible that I was supposed to live by every word that proceeded from the mouth of the Father. And so, like many times would happen after, what God had said when I prayed and asked him if I should move. Because here's the thing, after I prayed that time in the, in, the, in the bathroom and everything changed, I was like, well, this prayer thing's not that hard. It's communication with a father that loves me. So I would pray and I would expect for him to speak and he would speak and I'd get answers from him. And so I was like, God, should I move to South Carolina? And he said, yes. So I called the probation officer. I'm like, hey, I'm going to move to South Carolina. Why? Because God spoke. And in a minute, he changed my life that radically. Obviously, me going to South Carolina is no big deal. And for the first time in my life, what was being presented to me by a man was contradicting what I'd heard from the mouth of the Father, and I didn't know what to do, so I just stared at him. Just stared. And I don't know if it creeped him out. I don't know if the Lord spoke. I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden, he looks at me and goes, I don't even know why I'm doing this. I'm going to let you go. He said, but you listen to me. You better make sure this is what you want. Because if you so much as get arrested for jaywalking, when they run your name, it's going to come up in our Department of Justice. And when they call, I will never tell them that I told you that you could go because that could cost you my job. And I'm not losing my job over someone like you. So you make sure this is what you want and you keep your nose clean if you're going to do it. I said, yes, sir. Jumped in my truck, got on 95 North and headed towards South Carolina. I get into the state of South Carolina and the first thing that happens is I go to pass a semi and I, hear, I see blue lights behind me. And I'm freaking out. I freak out today if the cops are behind me. Like my voice tightens, my palms sweat a little bit. I was on the phone with my wife the other day and a cop got behind me and she all of a sudden like, is there a cop behind you? I was like, yeah. She's like, your voice gets like way squeakier and you, <laughs> you turn down the music. <laughs> and, 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 but then I was really freaking out because now I'm like, oh no, what's going to happen? And then I started thinking like, what if I forgot about something I'd hidden in the truck? Or what if someone I didn't even realize had stuffed something somewhere? I get arrested, and then when they find that, then I'd have to go to jail, for back to jail for five to seven years. And, and, and so I'm freaking out, and all of a sudden, there's a tap on the window. I look, and there's a state trooper standing there with his hat in his hand. And I roll the window down. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, yes, sir. And I'm thinking, just be cool. Just be cool. And he says, uh. I hardly understood him. I've gotten way better at it now. I did not speak Southern back then. And uh, he said, how you doing? <laughs> and I was thinking two things. One, I hardly understand what you say. And two, you guys are way nicer than the cops in Florida. And uh, so anyways, I said, uh, fine, <clears throat> fine, fine. And he said, young man, you know, I pulled you over. And I said, no, sir, I don't. He said, I noticed back there you passed on the right. He said, and I saw you have a Florida tag, and I think that's legal in Florida, but here in South Carolina, you have to maintain travel for a, a, a certain distance before you can get back over in the left lane. It's illegal to, to use the right lane for passing. And I said, uh, <clears throat> I, I, I didn't know that. Um, and so he asked me where I'm going. I said, Greenville. And he said, he said Greenville is a, is, a, is a beautiful place. And he starts talking about Greenville and telling me how much I'm going to love it. And, and, and I'm sitting here thinking, like, am I high? 
And then he keeps talking, and I'm thinking, is he high? <laughs> and then it hit me, and I thought, oh, I know what he's doing. He's just distracting me, and he's waiting for the drug dog to come and for backup to come, and they're going to pull me out, and the dog's going to, and now I'm freaking out again. And just as I start to have a minor panic attack, he puts his hat back on and says, well, I hope Greenville's good to you. Enjoy yourself. Turns around and walks back to his car. And the whole time I'm thinking, whoa, he, he didn't even ask me for my license. And I, I got to Greenville, I met my little brother, we walked in, and I walked into where he was, and he said, let's go get something to eat. I jumped in a car with him, we went to Applebee's in Greer, South Carolina, and I was walking in the front door, and out of the front door walked this little four foot eleven blonde, beautiful woman, and I was like, and she knew my brother, and because and he hung out with her cousin, and he's like, hey, Roy, this is... This our Patty, this is my brother Roy. And she was like, hey. I was like, hey, hey, <clears throat> hey, hey. And I was thinking, why can't I talk to people in South Carolina? And I know why. Because the first one was a state trooper. The second one was the woman who would become my wife. The first person I met in South Carolina ended up being my wife. And, yeah. <laughs> I knew before she did. I used to leave her notes that said, your future husband. Guys, like, don't do that. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I don't care if you hear the word of the Lord so clearly that it's written on your forehead. Don't tell her. But his grace covered it because I was so young. And I'm like, I prayed and I really felt like I'm going to marry this girl. And so I was like, your future husband. I was right. And, um, and I just began pursuing the Lord. And I began to walk in the newness of life that I found in Jesus. And suddenly I realized, wait a minute, my desires have changed. And, and I, I, I began to realize that, that the, 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 the Christianity that I had been brought up in, while it was the best my parents knew to give me, had presented to me only one side. And that was who I was apart from Christ but I never understood who I was once I became born again, a new creation in him and his spirit began to live inside of me. And I began to walk not after the flesh, but I began to deny myself and take up my cross and follow Jesus led by the spirit of God. Suddenly I realized I'm not alive for me anymore. And that's the most amazing thing because when you get set free, you no longer have to live for yourself. You're actually free from you. So you actually can love other people. And I began to realize I didn't have this list of, of do's and don'ts. I have found a love that changed me. And I lived more holy on accident than I ever did on purpose when the goal of my life was to try not to sin. Because my goal in life wasn't to not sin. My goal in life was to know him and to fall more in love with him every single day. And I realized it. When my wife came walking down the aisle. How many of you guys know that when your bride is walking down the aisle, you're about to say no to 3.5 billion women? It's the truth. Your yes to that one, your yes to that one is a no to 3.5 billion others. How many of you guys know I wasn't thinking about all the women I was about to say no to? All I could think about was the one I got to say yes to. And that's what life in Jesus is. It's not about all the things that I say no to. It's about the yes that I get to give every day to falling more in love with him and being led by his spirit and following Jesus. And in that one yes, there's a million no's, but my focus has never been the no because I've been in love with the yes. And I'm telling you right now, I know this for a fact. There have been so many people that I've talked to that have grown up in church, that have spent their whole life in church, in the right room. Rooms like this, called Fellowship of Christian Athletes, that know the stories from the Bible. You could finish them before I could even start them. And you know all about God. 
And everybody watching your life would think that you're somebody who's given their life to Jesus. Yet you know all about him, but you don't actually know him. You've never surrendered your life to him and asked him to come and make you a new creation, created anew in Christ. That's what Corinthians is talking about. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is now a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away and all things have been made new. You must be born again. You cannot live the life that he created you to live apart from being born again, a new creation in Christ and filled with the same spirit that led Jesus to be who he was. I'm telling you, I know this for a fact. There's people in this room, and some of you, if you were to stick your hand in the air right now, people around you would be shocked. And there's people in this room who have good and sincere hearts, and yet they feel like they're always going to be a slave to something because they've been a slave to it for so long. I'm here to tell you the good news of the cross declares that you're no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. And in the same way that you could do the right thing before you were born again, and it didn't make you holy, you can choose to do the wrong thing now that you're born again, and it doesn't make you unholy. But you have to choose now to give yourself to something other than what has possessed you, because you're no longer a slave to that thing, you're a slave to Christ. You're a slave to righteousness, and the Spirit of God will come and live inside of you and teach you and lead you into all truth, because that's what Jesus promised he would do. He said, there's one coming, the Spirit of truth, and he'll teach you all things. He'll lead you, he'll guide you into all truth. But I promise you, it doesn't happen by being in the room. It doesn't happen by wearing the t-shirt. It doesn't happen by going to the church service. It doesn't happen by going to the camp. It doesn't happen by being from a Christian home and Christian parents. As amazing as all of those things are, none of those things will actually change your life like surrendering your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ and asking him to come and letting the old die and the new come in. And I'm telling you tonight, the good news of the gospel is this. Listen, it talks about this in Colossians. It says that he canceled out the debt that was hostile against us when he nailed it to the cross. Let me give you a visual of that. And then I'm going to ask you, and I'm not talking about some emotional thing. I'm not talking about like, oh, let's do this so that we feel good for a moment. I'm talking about an invitation to actually lay our lives down and let Jesus raise us to newness of life in Christ and for the old to die and the new to come. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to wrap up with this because I want to give us plenty of time to respond to this because I feel like there's two different groups of people in here that need to respond. But it says that in Colossians, it says the record which was hostile against you was nailed to the cross through Christ. Just think about this for a second. That record that was hostile against you, that was your sins, that was, says that, that, was, that consisted of our debt, that's everything that you ever have and ever will do wrong. And when the enemy wants to have his way with you, all he has to do is bring up that record and start talking to you about the things that you've done wrong. Because he's obsessed with your past. He has to be, because he can't control your future. And so he starts to talk to you about the things that you've done wrong and starts to try to condemn you. And tries to get you to identify with what you've done rather than who you are in Christ. And he tries to get you to see yourself as a, res as a result of your sins. And so he would come and all he would have to do is just take that decree that was hostile against you. But it says, but when Jesus came, he said, it says that he, he took that and he, he wiped it out and he nailed it to the cross through Christ. And just think about this for a minute, the brilliance of God. Because normally when they would crucify people, they would use rope and they would hang them. They would tie them to the cross. And the way you died wasn't from bleeding to death. It was because after hanging on a cross for long enough, eventually you can't breathe because you don't have the strength to lift yourself up to let air come into your lungs. And if people, people would struggle and they would tie their, their feet and they would tie their hands to the cross and people would struggle and they would use that, their feet to push up to be able to take in a breath. And that's why eventually if they were there and they hung there too long and the Romans got bored, they would come and break their knees and break their legs so that they couldn't push up and they couldn't breathe anymore and you would just hang there and you would suffocate and die. And that's how you died when they crucified you. But with Jesus, they decide they're going to use nails. Why? Well, they're trying to be cruel. They want to be as torturous as possible. And I believe they're trying to get him to think for himself and to say that you and I aren't worth it. Just think about this. Jesus has done nothing wrong. He's healed their sick. He's raised their dead. He's fed them when they were hungry. And yet they bring Jesus and they bring a murderer up on stage. 
And they ask, which one do you want us to release? And they say, Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Do you think the enemy wasn't talking to Jesus in that moment and saying, are you kidding me? They want a murderer to go free? They don't love you. They're not even worth it. And if Jesus is like us and he's alive for himself, he never makes it to the cross. Because he looks out at people and says, all I've done is heal your sick, raise your dead, feed you when you were hungry. I came to give you life and life abundantly. And you want to choose a murderer over me? Forget you. Forget all of you. Because we lose who we are if someone cuts in front of us in traffic too closely. We lose who we are if somebody that doesn't know who they are acts out of their brokenness and does something broken towards us, but not Jesus. So they're nailing his hands to the cross, and I honestly believe they thought after the first nail, when they get ready to do the second one, because the first one, you don't really know how bad it's going to hurt, right? Like the first time something happens, you don't know how bad it's going to hurt. They put the first nail on there, and they nail it to the cross. And I would imagine they thought, surely after that, he won't say. And all he had to do was just deny. That's it. He just had to deny who he was. And they let him go. So they get that second one out there, and they're waiting for him to say, okay, enough is enough, and for him to give in. And they put that, that nail into his hand, and then they drive it into the cross. And Jesus doesn't open his mouth. Why? He's not there for himself. He's there for me. He's there for you. But what they didn't realize, and if they could have seen in the spirit, they would have known. It says that the record that was hostile against you was nailed to the cross with Christ. I want you to picture this. I want you to picture a scroll, a paper with everything you've ever done and everything you ever will do. And I want you to see him just take that and put that on the wood and then put Jesus' hand over it. And then drive a nail through his hand, through that paper, and into the wood. And nail it to the cross with Christ. And as the blood begins to pour out of the back of his hand, it begins to drench that paper. And drop by drop, as the blood of Jesus soaks the record that was hostile against you, it falls to the ground until all that's left is a scroll covered in blood. And when the enemy wants to accuse you, takes that scroll and he opens it up and nothing left because it's been covered by the blood of Jesus that's the freedom he wants to bring for you and for me to live Paul said it was for freedom that you were set free not a prayer so that one day you could go to heaven a relationship so that heaven could come and live inside of you and you could become who you were created to be and I'm telling you It begins with a prayer, but that's the first step in denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus. And so I just want to ask you today, because I know this, I've preached to too many people in too many churches, I've seen pastors respond to this and say, I need to be born again. I'm not asking, did you pray a prayer one day? I'm asking, have you surrendered your life not only to the salvation, but the lordship of Jesus? This is what Peter was saying when he's preaching to the Pharisees. He says, now you see this Christ whom you crucified. God has made him both Savior and Lord. He died for your salvation. He rose and he lives to be your Lord. He wants to be your Lord. But he won't take it from you. You have to surrender your life to him so that you can actually die and be raised to newness of life in Christ. And I'm just asking you right now, is there anyone here? The first thing I want to ask, is there anybody here who's never actually surrendered their life and received what Jesus died on the cross for them to receive? Not just that your sins are forgiven and one day you'll go to heaven, but that your sins are forgiven, you've become a new creation. The Spirit of God comes and lives inside of you and dwells inside of you and leads you and guides you into the light Grace is not simply just to cover up your sin. Grace comes to empower you to live the life that you were called to live. It has to be because Jesus was without sin, yet he was a man full of truth and grace. So maybe grace is more than just God's band-aid for my sin. Maybe it's the empowerment to live the life that I'm called to live in Christ. Is there anybody here 
and I'm saying this to you as sincerely as I know how to do, and I'm begging you, if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus and made him your Lord, would you do it? Would you, would you give up everything that you were never meant to carry, your guilt, your shame, the condemnation, the not being able to go to sleep at night, the not knowing the peace that passes understanding, the not walking in freedom with joy in your heart, waking up in the morning and actually liking who you are because you've been made into the image of Christ. I used to look myself in the mirror and I knew who I was. I was a liar, I was a thief, I was a manipulator, I was everything that I was never meant to be. Now I look myself in the mirror and I like what I see because I see the me that's been created in the image and likeness of the Father before sin came and destroyed everything because Jesus came to make all things new. If you need to do that, I, I promise you, like right now, we'll pray and the Spirit of God will come and he'll flood your heart and he'll fill your life and he'll transform you and the old will pass and the new will come, the new created in the image and likeness of the Father created in his image before sins ruined everything. For if by the sin of one man, the disobedience of one man, Adam, did the many become unrighteous, how much more then through the obedience of one man, Jesus, the second Adam, did the many become righteous. You're not sin waiting to happen, you're love waiting to manifest. There's a spirit inside of you that will lead you to the Father. And if you miss the mark, that's what John said. You realize we got to be careful because we put whens where he put ifs. We've made it when you sin, as if that's the expectation of the Christian life. John said, if you sin, we have one, Jesus, our advocate before the Father. Why? Because sin should be the exception to the Christian life, not the expectation of the Christian life. That's why he said if. Because you tell me you're perfect? No, I'm saying Jesus is, and he said be like me. He's the standard, not me called us to walk in this life as he walked. Those who claim the name of Christ must in this life live as he lived. It's in your Bible. And you can't do that on your own. You can't white knuckle it and just be a better person. You have to actually let him come and transform you into the image of Christ. If you need to do that today, if you want to respond to that and literally you want to surrender your life, I don't care what the people around you are going to think about you. I don't care if the people around you are going to go, I promise you there's probably someone sitting next to you that needs to do the same thing. If you want to do that and you want to be free and you actually want to surrender your life to Jesus, would you just stand up right where you are and we're going to pray right now and we're going to see people's lives transformed. Is there anybody in this room that would say that? Come on. I know there's more than that. Like I promise you. Come on. Come on. Don't listen. Don't let anything hold you back. Listen to me. It's the greatest thing that will ever happen in your life. Don't let anything hold you back. No fear of man. You can be set free today from the fear of man. Come on. Come on. If you need this and you want that, come down here to the front and we're going to pray with you right now. Come on. Don't Come on down here to the front. I'm telling you. Come on. Don't waste any time. Just come down here right now. We're going to pray and we're going to see God do what he said he would do. The power of the gospel will come and transform lives, I promise you, because it's not my word, it's his word, and he's always faithful, he's, if you, come on, if you need this, would you come down here right now, even if you didn't stand up, don't let anything keep you back, don't leave wishing you would have said yes, don't leave wishing you would have said yes, like he paid way too high a price for you to live in bondage and in fear and not be able to look in the mirror and like what you see because you see you created the way he created you to be. He became sin that knew no sin that you might become, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It wasn't an act. He didn't act sinful so you could act righteous. He became sin so that you might become righteous. And all it takes is this, is actually opening up your heart it says, Romans says, if you believe in our heart and confess with our mouths. It's, there's, no, it's not a, there's, there's no magic prayer. 
It's actually believing it in your heart that Jesus Christ was crucified for your sin and then raised to newness of life and resurrected. That he did that, took your place, he took my place, he did that as us, for us. And that when God cursed him on the tree, he wasn't cursing Jesus, he cursed sin. You just think about that for a second. Here, I want you to hear me out here real quick. When the Israelites are in the desert and the snakes are destroying them, he tells Moses, he says, I want you to make and fashion a snake and I want you to put it on a pole and I want you to raise that pole up. And when you raise that pole up, the thing that's destroying them will be destroyed. And it seems weird sometimes to think about why, why would they make a snake? Because God said, make the image of the thing that's destroying them and put it on a pole and raise that up and it'll destroy the thing that's destroying them. And then Jesus said, in the same way that Moses raised up the serpent, they're gonna nail the Son of Man to the cross and he'll by be lifted up. What was he saying? I'll, I'll let the Father make me become the thing that's destroying them and when they raise me up, I'll destroy the thing that's destroying them. And that's what he did. There's no longer a power over you. You were once a slave to sin, now you're a slave to righteousness. Where once you were uh, uh, filled with the spirit of this world, you now about to become partakers of the divine nature. The Bible tells you that. It says all things that pertain to life and godliness have been given to us freely through the knowledge of his son, Jesus. Is there anybody else before we pray with these? Don't miss out. Second thing, you guys, you can pray with them. Just lead them in that prayer and, and, and just open your hearts and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. We're going to pray with you. And there's, there's a prayer team. There's people with glow bracelets on. They're going to come up and they're going to pray with you guys. And, and they're going to actually bring you to a place of accepting what Jesus died on our cross for you. Except, but here's the second pe group of people I want to pray for. And I feel like there's a bunch of people in here that you believed a lie that you're always going to be a sinner. And you're always going to miss it. And you've accepted something as this is just what I'm going to have to deal with for the rest of my life. I promise you, the Bible says it was for freedom that you were set free. Why would you then present yourselves once again as slaves to sin? Romans tells us, says, don't you know that you are slave to the one you present yourself as a slave to, whether to a obedience and righteousness or sin and unrighteousness? You get to choose every single day. The Bible says in Corinthians, he says, man, God is faithful. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond that which we can stand. But with every temptation, he will provide a means of escape that you may withstand it. That means you never have to sin. You choose it. And I'm not saying that you're going to live perfect, but I am saying that you don't have to be a slave to something, that nothing in this life was meant to master you, that Jesus came and mastered everything and made a mockery and a display of it on the cross, and you don't have to live your life a slave to any sin, whether it's drug addiction, alcohol addiction, pornography, lying, whether it's, it, it, it's, it's anything that's less than Jesus that you've been giving yourself to, you don't have to be a slave to that thing, you can actually be free. Because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Not free for a day, but free indeed. And I, so I just want to ask you if you'd be bold enough. If you feel like you have a problem and you've given yourself to something over and over and over again. And you hate that you've done it. The truth of the matter is you hate it because your heart has been changed by God. Because there was a time when you did those things and you didn't even care. And now that he's changed your heart, now the truth has come. You can't even live with yourself after you do it because your heart's been changed by God. Rather than beating yourself up and condemning yourself, why don't you turn to the Father and say, Father, I thank you that you've changed me. God, I thank you that, that there was a time I gave myself to that thing and I didn't even think twice about it and now I can't even think about doing it without hating the thought. And if you feel like you are trapped in addiction or bound in sin, would you just stand up? We're going to pray for you. Anybody. Anybody, yeah. I promise. I promise you. Like, I, don't let fear keep you sitting. Don't let sin keep you sitting somewhere. Listen, you can be free. I'm not talking about just free as in, well, I know that I'm forgiven. I'm talking about set free to where he changes your desire. He said if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desire of your heart. That doesn't mean delight yourself in him and he'll give you an airplane. That means if you delight yourself in the Lord, the more you stare into the face of Jesus, the more the desires of your heart become the desires that he gives you. And you find yourself wanting something different. 
We didn't find a way to sin and get away with it. We found a way to be transformed by grace. We found a way to live and be free. Is there anybody else? I'm, listen, you, you know. I, I, everything that I've preached tonight, every verse that I've quoted, I promise you it's in your Bible, and I'm not just pulling things out of context to cherry pick. They're very plain. They're very clear. This gospel is simple. It's not complicated. It's a yes and no gospel. And when he said that, that in him, that, that who he has set free is free indeed. He didn't mean free one day when you die. If that, you believe that, then death is your savior, not Jesus. He came that you would be set free. He said, I came to set the captives free. If you feel like you're in bondage to sin and you need freedom, come down to the front right now and we're going to pray for you. I promise you, no shame, no guilt, no condemnation. Is there, and I'm telling you right now, you can be free from that thing. You don't have to be ashamed of it. He became your sin so that you could become his righteousness. That thing has had your, your life for long enough. It's eaten your lunch one too many times. It's time today to say, God, I, I need to be free, and I can't do it on my own. If you could do it on your own, you would have already done it because you've, you've tried so many times. You've said, I'm never going to do that again, and then you find yourself doing the thing you said you wouldn't do. I promise you there is freedom from that endless cycle of guilt and shame and regret. Is there anybody, if you need, if you want prayer for freedom, would you just raise your hand right where you are? And, and if you, if, yeah, I'm saying if you're standing up front so we know who to pray for. Yeah, I, I, yeah, if you're wearing a bracelet, come down here. We need you, all hands on deck. We need to pray for people. Listen, th this is what we're praying. We're not praying, God, if it's your will. We already know his will. It's declared in the, in the bloody cross of Jesus who died for your freedom. We're praying from a place of knowing the Father's heart that you would be free indeed. No longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. A new master, a new name, a new heart, a new way of living. Jesus. Father, I thank you for every person. Father, I thank you that, that there is freedom in you. God, that, that we could live our lives, that grace calls us into this freedom. That grace is simply not forgiveness when we miss it, but it's the empowerment of the gospel to live the life we're called to live. And Father, I thank you for grace coming right now in Jesus' name and breaking addiction. I thank you for, God, I thank you that if there's hurt and past trauma, God, if there's unforgiveness in our hearts that's opening the door for this addiction to stay, would you come right now and heal that? In Jesus' name. We thank you for your consuming fire coming, God, and burning up everything that's not of you, Lord. Jesus, would you come and be king and be ruler. We make you the Lord of our lives. Jesus, we step off the throne of our lives and we make you Lord. We give you your rightful place on the throne. We say that you're Savior and Lord, that you died for our forgiveness and you were resurrected for the newness of life that we find in you. Spirit of God, would you come right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you do what Jesus said you would do? Would you lead and guide into all truth? Would you mend and heal? I thank you, Father, for freedom in this place. God, I thank you for every person still sitting in their seat that wishes they would have responded, that in their heart they want to. God, you said while man's looking at the outside, you're looking at the heart. You see those hearts, God, that long for freedom. Would you come and meet them right where they are right now in Jesus' name? Holy Spirit, would you come and meet them where they are in Jesus' mighty name. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your promises. In Jesus' name.